Welcome to The Eco Enthusiast, a podcast where we explore the world of everyday people making a difference in the environmental movement. From busy parents to community leaders, we chat with a diverse group of individuals who are using their skills and passions to create positive eco change in their communities and beyond. So whether you're just starting your sustainability journey or you're a seasoned pro, we hope to inspire and empower you to take action and make a positive impact on our planet. So join us and let's start building a better future together. Rachel Yates is a British clinical psychologist and climate concerned parent. Two years ago, just after the birth of her child, she decided our climate situation was so serious that she felt called to dedicate as much of her time to it as possible. She has blended her expertise in psychology, her interest in parenting and our climate challenge and has created a six-week course for parents. On her social media account, Climate Parenting, Cool Parenting on a Warming Planet, it reads, this group experience will be a chance to explore climate distress and work out how to live with it so we can enjoy our children and best help them make sense of the world they're growing up in. It will be a place to find community with others who also share our concerns. It will be an opportunity to explore what it means to take climate action. As parents, our time is precious, so we will explore different ways to get or stay involved in action in a way that doesn't simply add to our to-do lists. You'll be invited to look at what is right for you and your family at this point in your life, taking into account all the pressures you are inevitably juggling. In action and in community, there is room for hope. And with support, we can find ways to use our individual skills, talents, and experiences to address this crisis. If you're still struggling with how to engage with the climate emergency, then this course is for you. It was great to chat with Rachel today in this episode. We touch on what are the psychological blocks stopping people from getting involved in climate action. And we also talk about her wonderful course and the importance of finding your specific sustainable way of participating in climate action. I hope you enjoy this episode with Rachel Yates. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Rachel. I guess my first question is, when did the climate become a really big focus for you and a big concern for you as a parent? Yeah, as a parent was key, I think, in in how I came to be working on this topic. I really cared about climate and nature and environmental things since I was in school. I remember learning about about the climate crisis and realising, oh, this is a really important thing. And it was there in the background of how I thought about the world and, and I did go on some demonstrations and I was thought about some personal choices. I tried not to fly, I did a few things, but... I never really found a way to fully engage in the way that I wanted to. I think I was busy with work and, and all the things that, that, that happen in life and, and distract you. And then soon after I had my little girl, a few months after in that phase of maternity leave, when I was just waking up and engaging a bit with life outside our little bubble again. And I saw an article that was about one of the releases, one of the IPCC reports that was about to come out. And it really was an eye-opening thing for me. And maybe it would have been even if I hadn't just had a baby at that point, but it was making very clear the extent to which we were already feeling the impacts of climate change all around the world. This wasn't something that was coming in the future and that they were accelerating faster than than climate scientists had been predicting. And the timescale suddenly just felt much sooner than I think I'd really been aware of. And having a 
young baby, you projects you into the future in a way because suddenly you're thinking, how old she's going to be at that point? It's not that far ahead. And, and it just hit me in a way that it hadn't before. And I, I remember having a going on a walk with her or bundled up with me and with my dad at the time and talking through what I'd been reading and how I was feeling about it and him responding to me in terms of just really agreeing that this was a really frightening thing. And I think my dad had always been for me this sort of figure of sort of reassurance and sense and often providing kind of solutions and fixes for problems in life and where I would go to for sort of reassurance. And he was very honest and he didn't provide reassurance. He was saying, it's scary. It's hard to, to think how, how the world is going to respond to this. And it, it made me look at it in the sense of, okay, but now I'm also responsible for this new being and a profound kind of deep love for her that I, I need to find my way to, to think about this topic and to feel like I'm addressing it in some way. And it, maybe also it was having a gap from work at that time, but I then was feeling like, okay, I need to find, make this my work, my vocation in some way so that I can really dedicate myself to finding, to feeling like I'm going to be making a difference. And the articles I was reading and this information, the more I've come to learn about it is that although it, the timescales feel incredibly terrifyingly short and we really need to be addressing this in a serious way soon, it's not that we don't know how what needs to be done. It's not that we're completely stuck. Like really the scientists have worked out what needs to happen. And the challenge is that people aren't responding, aren't doing the things that need to happen on the level of governments. And But we're all bound up in that too. And there's a sense of kind of people not, I think, being feeling able to fully engage with what's happening in order to make the changes that are necessary. And I think a lot of the barriers to that are psychological. And so the more I start thinking about it, I think, okay, I'm a psychologist. I've only ever worked with people individually and in the context of a health service but maybe either way that I can use what I've got in terms of some psychological knowledge and, and find a way to address this so that was sort of how I came around to, to, to thinking about climate psychology and, and, and using those skills in my work but yeah essentially it was about my my daughter I think combining combined with a realization of um, the urgency of, of this problem. I completely agree with you that it's the more I've done this podcast, like I expected on this podcast to be speaking to people like that were actively like physically doing things. And I have spoken to some people like that, but the more I, I delve into this topic and learn more about it, I'm like, there's so many solutions. Like the, the weird thing is that human beings aren't picking those up and, and why aren't they picking up those solutions? So this seems to be a head problem rather than a tech problem in many ways. Why do you think we are not uh, addressing this problem? Yeah, I think there's lots of reasons, but it's such an important question. I think it's one of the, the most important questions that we have to try and tackle collectively. I think there's lots of things. Like there's lots of problems facing the world, right? And climate change is one of those. And I guess from our sort of privileged Western perspective, there's time and space to think a bit further into the future and to, to think about what's coming and to worry about what's coming. Many people around the world are just struggling with right now. Um, and there's so many current kind of challenges that, that are more immediate for people. So I think that is a, a large part of it. But when we're thinking about people who perhaps do have the aren't struggling with systemic issues and all yes. sorts of problems that are facing them in their day to day lives, and perhaps have the capacity and resources to give this some of their attention then I think there's lots of psychological defenses that that kick in I won't have time to do them all justice today in terms of talking about them but that I can give a little flavor and I think some of them are essentially we find it scary to look at difficult topics and when 
the way things are presented to us often in the news media is very much about only the disaster side or only the threat that's facing us in the just because of some other way the media is set up and the way that stories are often presented and so when we faced with just that sort of doom laden message it can be very scary when we first read it but eventually people perhaps disconnect they switch off it becomes desensitized really they don't have the same reaction and they see it again and that leads to people disconnecting and i think there's something important about being able to bring in um, solutions when we talk about these topics as well and to really highlight those so that people see the urgency and the problem but they also see that, that there are real things that can be done to address this and what their own individual part of that could be and another is that we we've stuck within a system that makes it hard for us to behave in a way that might be in line with the kind of future that's needed or the values that we might hold and so there will be inevitably many times even throughout even during an individual day where we are doing things which are contributing perhaps to the problem even if you're trying very hard to live a sustainable kind of life on an individual level and so that creates a kind of co what's called cognitive dissonance kind of mismatch between what we understand and we know um, needs to happen and then the way we're actually behaving so for example we've got conflicting kind of priorities in our lives and we might um decide to fly to see family or just to, for whatever reason and, and but while we know that's a really damaging thing for the planet and, or whatever it might be even small decisions on a daily basis and what happens psychologically is it's often harder to change our behavior than it is to change our belief and so people end up shifting their belief into kind of using narratives they t tell themselves around my individual change won't make a difference to the bigger picture or whatever kind of story we might tell ourselves that helps us to not have that really uncomfortable painful feeling of a mismatch between how we're acting and, and what we believe and also often the way these issues are presented are very seem very distant from our reality right now we're often given pictures of polar bears in the news and sort of things that aren't actually part of our day-to-day -day experience and so i think kind of things that help us connect up the things that are happening with actually what goes on in our communities and our individual the real lived experience around the world so thinking about it in terms of air pollution and what your children might be breathing in school rather than what's going to happen to, to the ice caps which while really important is harder for people to really relate to can be a helpful thing and yeah i think just there's a sense of kind of collective denial that happens around these which is when we know there's a problem but we don't, don't act as if we do because it's too difficult to look at and we, we can't tolerate those feelings that creates a kind of culture of silence we don't want to be the one who raises the uncomfortable topic and so we collude with that collectively a bit so yeah I guess consciously trying to create space to have these kinds of conversations is important. Yeah, there's, I could no, talk for a, a long time on these topics, but there's that's a lot. A lot of and it's it's so true, all, all of what you said. Like, there are a lot of obstacles, like, just when you put it like that. It, it, we would be lying if we said that's easy to, to awaken to these ecological issues and then find yourself in a system where you can't live those values out like it's really hard but i think as you said it's like once if you keep speaking about these things and creating a sense of community it becomes easier like it does become easier over time absolutely yeah and there's ways that we can if once we're aware of what those defenses are we can observe them in ourselves and other people and find kind of gentle ways to get around them i think and it is really hard to try and live in line with your values but it's also really hard to think live in this place of cognitive dissonance and yeah. it takes that takes emotional energy from people and so I think sometimes it is difficult there's, there's challenges on both sides but if we really look at the difficult feelings and we give ourselves space and time to process those and like you say we engage in community and we, we talk with other people who are concerned about these issues too 
it can be hugely alleviating and really help us to feel more kind of meaning and, and purpose. I think we underestimate like how like quickly we can wake up each other to this problem. Like I was talking to my husband about water bottles and he was at his at a work conference and he's I just couldn't stop looking at all the plastic water bottles everywhere because I never saw them before but mm. I saw them everywhere and it really annoyed me and so so that is a difficult thing when you are like awakening to it but if, if we all start doing it then we, these changes happen the conversations happen and then the solutions come from those conversations the agreements come so I, I think we underestimate how fast it can happen and how, as you said, even if we're okay, awakening to this on a subconscious level, we know already. Yeah. So may as well face it. And yeah, I don't know how to communicate to people how even facing the really the drama of the climate crisis and all these ecological issues it can be very empowering like it doesn't always feel overwhelming but it can feel it feels like a very invigorating challenge sometimes Mm. because it's It's such a mix isn't it and I think that people can feel a lot of people when surveys are done asking people how they feel about this a lot of people out there feel really strong feelings about climate and yet it doesn't come through in our experience of things when we're having conversations in our daily lives often so people might have very strong feelings of grief and distress around this topic but um, think that they're somehow the only person who's having that experience and feel very lonely with it and actually the data suggests that people um, are increasingly worried about this and so I think being able to start having those conversations can help and having spaces where you can come together with other people who are also having very similar feelings can be really validating. And, and so I think it's, yeah, the importance of creating that space for people to feel like they're not alone with it and to feel like they can take action that isn't going to have to come up with the one big thing that's going to shift everything because that feels obviously totally impossible. And if you feel part of a bigger whole where everybody's putting their little piece into the jigsaw or however you want to think about it then it takes that intense pressure that you can feel as an individual away and it just makes you feel part of a collective and a community so I think we have to think about on that sort of level so important because before I found the community like on a psychological level we not all humans every human is different but I was like (laughs) I was talking to a therapist about this issue once and I said I just have this feeling like all of this is my fault (laughs) do you know what I mean which is crazy but so you of course you need a little bit of guilt to push you to make changes and take action but of course it's not all one person's fault but our mind can do that to us sometimes if Mm. we are not together if we do feel that we're the only one having these feelings and thinking this way so yeah I, I completely agree with you and so you've started this course for parents, like you've, you've taken your climate concern, mixed it with your psychology and created this course to assist parents with all of these feelings that we're talking about. What have you created? And yeah, you just tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, I wanted to work with parents because being a parent was a little part of my kind of catalyst to wanting to do something personally. But also I'd been working with children and families in the National Health Service in the UK for for years so that I was used to working with groups of parents and that felt natural but also I think there's a big part of the story around climate change which is about sort of children and young people coming to save us a little bit and it's very wonderful what lots of groups of kind of children and young people 
are doing and have done in recent years in terms of putting this issue into our kind of collective consciousness. But in terms of kind of young people growing up, I think it's really important that as parents, we take responsibility for the what the world's facing and the changes that need to happen, partly because it's a lot of an emotional burden for young people and children to bear, but also because the timescales we're talking about mean that, that the changes need to happen now. We don't have time for the sort of generation of our children to grow up and, and make a difference. And so I feel like bringing parents into that is an important thing to do. And also I think parents can sometimes feel a bit outside perhaps traditional activism or roots for making change in that perhaps going along to certain kinds of demonstrations or taking direct action where you feel like you might get arrested, which the types of activism that often comes to mind when people think about ways they could get involved doesn't feel possible for many people when you're, you know, you're parenting and you have a small person relying on you at home. But to open up those conversations about different ways to get involved feels important. And also because of the emotional, young people are really experiencing lots of difficult feelings about these topics and children growing up becoming aware of what's happening in the world there's a there's a lot of distress out there and our role as parents is to help our children through that as best we can but I think in order to do that we need to have emotional resources and a sense of how we can look after ourselves because the main way we support our children in their kind of emotional regulation and how they learn resilience how they learn to understand and how to develop coping strategies is through what they observe in us and how we think about it with them and so a little bit like the kind of oxygen mask on the plane analogy you need, we need to have help ourselves um before we think about helping our our children and so the course is it's a six week course 12 hours so two hours each session and we look at different topics each time and most of them are focused more broadly on as parents what our role is and how we can support ourselves so we think about sharing and connecting as community in the first session we tell our climate stories about how we came to be concerned about this topic in the second session, we think about emotions and try and create a safe place from which we can share those with each other, try and sort of develop a bit of a compassionate um, way of thinking about our own feelings in response to this. We have a session where we think about relationships and where these kind of topics come into our interactions with others, um, both in terms of how we might influence people in relation to this, but also um, how we communicate effectively in our personal lives with our families, with our children. And then we have a session explicitly thinking about children um, and how we can help them, guide them and support their emotional um, resilience in relation to, to climate, how we explain to them what's happening in, in a way that feels safe. Um, and then we have a session where we think about our kind of what we talk, talk about as our kind of ecosystems, thinking about sort of the nature metaphor, but in terms of what our networks are, how we can draw on those for support, what, what key relationships or contacts we might have who might help us but also that we might be able to influence in terms of making changes and focus on also our personal action and how we can find individual things that we can do that are in line with our values that are fit with at the point we're at in our lives right now when it's incredibly busy and we've really, parenting is just such a huge task in itself so what are the small things that are possible within that context that are right for the individual person and trying to make an individual action plan for each person so for some people that would be more about and really prioritizing their self-care for a while and their emotional kind of world so that they can feel okay and be there for their, for their children. Um, for others, it's more about finding a kind of climate community in their own way to get involved in action so that they can um, they kind of feel like they're making a difference. Um, and the final session, we sort of pull that all together and, and as, a, as a group think how we can kind of support each other and, um, and each take those action plans forward. So that's the kind of idea of the course. It sounds fantastic and I think it's so important for so many different reasons. Yeah, 
one of the reasons is as much as I said, oh, when I came to this climate awakening, I was like, oh, it's all my fault. Of course, it's not all my fault, but I am a parent. I do have a sense of response. We do have a sense of responsibility for the next generation. And we need a... We need to we need help with how as you, at what you're providing there. We need help with how to make that a part of our lives in a sustainable way. Because yeah, I think as you said, a lot of parents are. I can't really go and chain myself to this thing, or I just it's scary, and th- there are a lot of things just p- pushing you away from it. But I think it's really important as well because. The next generation, I think we're vastly underestimating just how, I guess we'll wait and see, but I, if, it were my, if I were a young person today and my parents were not addressing this, I would feel such a deep level of despair and betrayal and I think we're underestimating that. Mm. And I think the next gen, having these courses available for people to, to show their children that they care they really care and that they are engaged and trying is so important for the next generation. It's so important. I, I don't know why there's not more, more conversation around that. But I think sometimes we forget that our children are going to grow up into mm. adults. Like I speak with my dad every day. He's a huge part of my life. It's, I think we just forget that. Like this is not, mm. it's not all oh, 15 years and then they're out of the house and that's, no, this is like a really long relationship that you're creating with this person. And yeah, so that's that. And there's another thing is that I remember when I was like a teenager or it's a tough time. Being a teenager is a tough, is tough in itself. And if you're on a deep level becoming aware of the climate issue, and your parents are, but no one's speaking about it. It can create a lot of tension in the house as well without people realising that there's tension there. Yeah. So. Well, you're touching on two really key things. I think one is, yeah, hard to imagine that future. And I think that's just because, particularly in the context of this issue, a lot of parents can't actually imagine really what the future is going to look like. We don't know. There's this huge uncertainty there. And so we don't really visualise what the future will look like in general and what our child will look like when they grow up. Or we picture some of the time we're picturing a future that's maybe what we would have imagined for ourselves as children in a world that's much like it is now, or we imagine a disaster scenario. And actually, I think we need to get better collectively in helping each other and, and telling stories about um, the, the the type of future that we want to work towards. And then we can it's easier then to picture our children within it and, and think how we might talk with them about what we're working towards. But I absolutely agree with you that them seeing us as being involved in trying to make a difference is important not only for the activity in itself but also for what it means to them growing up as individuals and seeing that the adults around them are uh, engaged with this and trying to make a difference and you also said about the teenagers that silence that can be created perhaps within a family of, of everybody's worried about this topic but no one's talking about it and I think you're absolutely right because a lot of parents will say they worry about it and they worry about their children but they many more parents say they've worried about it than say they've had a conversation with their children about it. And yeah. so I think that's because we feel guilty on some level that we know we're part of a generation, that even though, as you said, individuals haven't created this problem. Um, it's been created by a system. It's been created by kind of governments and companies and big organisations and, and lots of really things that are not within our individual power, but we feel a, a guilt and appropriately so to some degree. And But then it's very difficult to... Um, think how to have a conversation as well because 
we're worried about the future and we don't want to say the wrong thing. Parents then don't have the confidence perhaps to know how to have a conversation. And so we stick in with that silence, but actually we know young people are increasingly worried about these things. And so I think it can be really helpful to, to, to open up those conversations. So I guess part of the course is about help, helping hopefully for parents to feel more confident to have those kinds of conversations. Yeah. I, I guess I want probably part of the reason that they don't want to say it or start these conversations is the same reason your dad didn't want to probably say to you when you just got a baby in your arms, I can't say everything's going to be fine. So that's probably a big, I think, blocker to starting the conversation. It is a weird point in history that we are in where you can't be super reassuring about what the future is going to be like. But I heard Alain de Bourdon say this, which I think is really wise. And I think about it a lot is when the, the COVID hit, he said, look, we're in this uncertain moment, but it's life is uncertain. Like it's never been certain. So it's bringing you head on with the reality that we don't really know ever what's going to happen. So I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Just like, I think sometimes if even if as a parent, our natural thing is to say everything's going to be okay. It's, we can never really say that. I think we have to provide a different way, stability, maybe an inner strength to go, no matter what happens, you're going to be able to cope with the situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I agree. Providing them with the, the, the confidence in, within that uncertainty in some way that, that they've got some resources that will help them tackle it. What have some of the parents that you've worked with, what have they said the experience has been like for them and what has your experience been of the parents? What are the issues that, that they're coming to you with? Yeah, it's been a really nice experience of connecting with other people who are wanting to think about and talk about these topics. And I think that's a big part of what the experience has meant for the people who've been part of the group. So they've said just having a space to, to talk about, to break that silence, to realise other people are struggling with these topics too, and to be able to engage with them fully and a space to, to share feelings. But I think something about that context of being with other parents who are also at this point in life where it has a particular kind of unique intensity to it in terms of the challenges people are facing. There were some nice moments. I think some people in the group had younger children who were one and two and so on and and others had slightly older children and there was some particular kind of feeling among the parents of very young children about just feeling quite paralyzed with this feelings and then how do I actually also create space to do something within my life and part of it was nice in that we could think collectively about sort of small ways within daily routines with a child there's ways to feel like you're engaging and, and making doing something small that might make a difference but also the all the parents of all the children in the group were able to feed in their experience which was that actually there, there comes a point relatively soon where you begin to have a bit more space and they felt that they were previously at that point but now they were beginning to have some space to feel like they could perhaps do a bit more and so to have that kind of shared perspectives was really helpful and I think some of them also fed back that I included things around kind of psychological defences as thinking about it in terms of helping the participants understand perhaps why people in general perhaps aren't as engaged with this topic as or acting in the way that we'd hope and, and how we can use our communication creatively to get around those defences a bit. But they fed back that actually they found it really helpful on a personal level as well to understand that kind of changing feelings we can have about these topics on a daily basis. So you fluctuate between 
feeling really intensely activated and, 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 and about the distress and really wanting to engage. And then the next minute you're in the supermarket getting on with your daily life or whatever it might be, or you're at the school gate having a conversation about something that feels trivial. And, and this kind of changes can feel quite challenging unless you understand quite what's going on. And so they, they fed back that having a sense of that, how those psychological defenses were both complicated on a level of society, but also helpful to them in being able to juggle their daily life that help them to have more of a consciousness around it, I think, and a, and a sense of, they're not all bad, these defences, they're also helping us to, to get through our day to day. And, and so they can find a way then to work, work with that, perhaps in a way that might be more helpful in future. Yeah, Just, learning yeah. how to shift the gears. Okay, I'm in this gear at this moment, that's okay. And then I'm going to move to this one. Yeah, yeah. And that's okay, you know, that these feelings will shift and change. Yeah. And they shared they also liked did a lot of thinking about those different ideas about what it means to be an activist and thinking from a very individual perspective for each person about what was right for them in their context. And I think that was, some of them fed back that was helpful. And one of them since doing the course has come back to me and is now thinking about how to take this into her workplace with a group of students at school and support them with their emotional kind of understanding of, of these topics and having some conversations there, which I was excited by that the ripple effect that's what you hope when people engage with this topic they do their small things and then it, it has knock-on impacts that you might not know and yeah that idea I find really hopeful and so seeing it almost in, in action in a small way around the course is really positive for me. That's fantastic but yeah I think we vastly underestimate those conversations. I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine when she was like flying a lot for work and she doesn't have a child. And she said to me, and I said to her, I, I don't feel comfortable flying. And I tried to, I'm trying to find different ways around this issue. And she goes, oh, no, don't worry about it. And she's concerned about the environment. She goes, no, don't worry about it. It doesn't really make a difference. And you don't feel bad. And I went, well, I, I do feel bad. I can't really change that feeling. And I think this is really important to me on a spiritual level even. Where I just This is what I th think is the right thing to do. And so I had that conversation. It was a little uncomfortable, but it wasn't bad. And then... And I thought, that's not, I haven't changed her opinion, like whatever. I didn't push to change her opinion either. I just said how I felt. Then not a couple of months later, she said that she had spoke to her boss and was like, no, she hadn't even spoke to her boss. She just wasn't flying for work. She didn't even notice. She wasn't, she wasn't flying for work. So, and I went, wow, that's a rat. And she was going to try and change some things at her workplace to try and encourage others not to fly and to figure out why so many people were flying. Then even months later, I spoke to her again and she went, she brought it up herself and she goes, wow, I'm experiencing a lot of eco-anxiety at the moment. And she's, before I was like, I didn't have a child, so it's not really my kind of problem. But she's, it's really, I'm really feeling it a lot. And I would love, she's Swedish, she's like, I would love to visit Australia again, but I'm, I'm not going to. Like I've met, that's, it's in my, it's clear to me mm -hmm. that that's what I'm going to do. So that complete like that, that's a huge shift in someone's brain now obviously that's not just one conversation she's having a hello experiences in her life but i think we just vastly underestimate what how powerful it is speaking your truth and once again you don't have to be enforcing that on someone but just putting it out there in yeah. a conversation letting it dangle it feels a bit uncomfortable when you're doing it but just let it stay there yeah, exactly. Just having conversations about your own feelings and experiences and, and conflicts that you might be having or, or yes. particular changes you might have made or how they've worked or not worked. It's about creating a social sense of a changing norm of what, how, things, how we do things, how we think about things, I think. And there's some interesting research that looked at, it was a hotel trying to get people to change how they 
dealt with whether they got their towel changed every day, saving water and energy in the process of washing all the towels. And, and if they put up signs in the hotel that said, please, please don't put your towel out for washing every day because it will save water and energy, then it made very little difference. But if they put up signs that said, I can't remember now, but something along the lines of 75% of guests in this hotel keep their towel for X number of days because they want to save energy, then suddenly that, that did really shift people's behavior. So we're social animals and we yeah. work in, in, in communities, we work in relationship and what other people are doing around us is a huge bit of how we behave. There's another really interesting study actually that's from way back, I think in the 60s sometime, that looked at how people responded if they, they were all sitting in a room that was like a waiting room, they were waiting as part of this experiment and smoke started to fill the room. And then the person who's part of the experiment doesn't know that all the other people in the room are actually actors. And in that scenario, if the smoke's just gradually starting to come in, most of the time, if the other people in the room who were all actors didn't respond, then the person who um, was the sort of participant in the experiment also ended up not responding. And uh, Whereas if other people were raising the alarm, then they would do something about it. And um, I think that's collectively a bit what's happening in society today, right? We, we change our belief because of how we see other people behaving. And so just consciously not colluding with that and, and letting what we are doing and what we are thinking be part of that conversation. And like you say, it doesn't have to be about lecturing people. Yeah, um, just being just you. Sharing like, and being yeah. yourself, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's it's very powerful. And I think another thing in on that same line, it's because we've been brought up in such a way as like we always need to see results immediately to think that what we're doing is working which is, has a rule, it can be useful sometimes, but obviously things don't always work that way. Nature doesn't work that way. It, it mm. seems slow, but it's moving. And a, a lot of people can be moving at one time without us really knowing it. And then, hey, presto, everyone's got a completely different mentality. As we start, said at the beginning of the conversation, it really is a mental shift because we the solutions are right at, at our fingertips. Not all of them, but a, a lot of them are really just there waiting to be picked up. So we have some questions that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast. The first question is, what has been your most profound moment in nature? It's a really difficult question because I can think of lots. And I think maybe coming up with a single one is difficult. But I did a lot of camping as a child and growing up. And I think that those experiences of spending sort of whole days or weeks outside the whole time was something that for me really helped me connect with nature, I think, in a different way and to feel that sense of being part of nature rather than a visitor to it. It's just be there during those like quiet moments in the day, maybe when you're in your tent or, you're, or even sleeping outside sometimes or was as a child and you can hear the world waking up around you or see the dew on the grass. And these kind of things that perhaps we don't, when we just go in and visit and come out again, we don't experience in quite the same way. So camping for me was something... Yeah, a bit more special in that sense, you know, brushing your teeth and these kind of other things just out in the world. It's, it can be really beautiful. And so it gives you a chance to slow down. And another question that we have is what's well, activity grandma's advice where you have to imagine that you're uh, a grandmother coming towards the end of the, her days and she's going to pass on some advice to her grandchildren. What advice would you pass on, Rachel? It's a hard one as well, isn't it? Because it means putting yourself in the future in the way we talked about being a difficult thing to do. But yeah. if I'm even just thinking about now, what advice I would pass on? I think it's something about trying to live with and practice compassion for both yourself and for others. I think there's a really nice approach within psychology that I learned about with training, which is 
called Compassion Focused Therapy, developed by a, a guy called uh, Paul Gilbert, and he wrote a book called The Compassionate Mind, which I really recommend if anyone's oh, interested in this great. sorts of ways of thinking. It's not about climate explicitly, but it's an approach that for me really fits with it and is kind of frames how I think about these things. And it's the idea that we all just, we all found ourselves here in this moment in time and history. We just landed on the world. We didn't really um, have any choice in the matter. We didn't get to choose the kind of complicated biology, these complicated brains and emotions that we have. And we don't get to choose the experience that we live with. And we're all just here somehow doing our best in, best in this messy existence. And that we have to try and the more we can be compassionate with ourselves about that and the more we can support ourselves compassionately with those complicated feelings and have a gentle, compassionate voice to support ourselves internally, then, yeah, the better we can be. And also, if we engage with other people in that way and listen and hear what their experience is, then the more impactful conversations we get to have. So something along those lines, I think. And compassion can sound like it's a bit of a weak position, but I don't think it is. I think it's it, it, it comes with a strength in terms of being sensitive to challenging difficulty painful feelings but also a commitment to doing something about it in some form and and I think of that as well as being able to look at the difficult feelings and, and tolerate those being able to take responsibility for what we can do without necessarily feeling culpable completely in terms yeah, of like um, overwhelming those guilty feelings or overwhelmed yeah. yeah I think it has a lot in common as well with how we might think about parenting a child in terms of being able to hear all those difficult feelings they're throwing at us but also still trying to represent a sort of strength and having boundaries and being clear about what needs to happen at the same time somehow if we can do that a bit for ourselves I think it would help I think it's it sounds like a great book and I'm going to read it for sure because another thing that we didn't really speak today to speak about was was just the feelings that can arise no one else seems to have this problem <laughs> not well not as much as I do maybe I'm not enough of a compassionate person but I find it I'm finding it very difficult to Nav, like navigate my feelings around the time limit that we have, what's at stake, other people's actions, and so on. All of that is fight. I find it very hard. So I think books like The Compassionate Mind would be really helpful because I agree with you. These that it's a that's a more active and proactive state to be in to get results, to get things moving. But these other feelings coming up, they're perfectly natural and normal feelings, but it's just like, how do we, they're hard to process. They're very heavy. Absolutely. Yeah. And very definitely the idea of having a compassionate approach isn't to squash those feelings. It's to no. allow them all as part of the experience, use them in terms of telling us what is it they're, what is it they're telling us about what's important to us, what our values are, what all feelings are natural and useful in their own way but it's about how we respond and manage them yeah yeah it sounds like a great book another question we have is what is one thing that you hope never changes we have a world with lots of changes what is something that you hope never changes yeah you think of some difficult questions i think this one <laughs> is also hard <laughs> i knew it was coming because i've listened to <laughs> your other wonderful podcasts but it's difficult because it implies a sense of a status quo now that it's sort of I think things are always and have always been changing and that different things are different ways in different parts of the world. And so I find it quite hard, but maybe something about hoping that, I guess, collectively, we don't lose the ability to imagine a different and a better future and to work towards that in small steps. Yeah. Um, yeah, no one said that on the podcast. And I, I think, I think, I think we have almost lost the ability a little bit like, and I think it's, I would love to us to get it back in some cultures they definitely were thinking 
a lot about the future. It's what makes us, I think, different from our other animals is <laughs> this ability. And it can be really wonderful. So, yeah, I hope, mm. I hope we don't lose it or that we can strengthen that skill that we have. One of the things, actually, I didn't mention it as part of my kind of climate awakening story at the beginning, but a really powerful book for me in that process as well was The Future We Choose, ah, yeah. which is by Christine, Christiana Figueres and Tom Rivet Carnet. And they talk about, they, they, do, they describe two futures. Yes. So they talk about the future as maybe we, at the point they wrote the book, we were heading towards and the future that could be where we could go if we, one option of a future we could go to if we really make changes that are needed. And for me, that was so important because it was made me realise that the kind of current status quo isn't an option. So we, that, that's not on the table now. Yes. Either, either the, the future we're heading towards with, if we keep burning fossil fuels, essentially, or there's a future we could build where I think there's scope to solve all sorts of other interconnecting issues and problems that we face in the world, as well as the sort of climate problem, because they're all related. And yeah, there's another thing that I think in relation to how we imagine different futures that's nice is this art form that's growing called solar punk. I don't know if you've come across oh, it, no. but it's artists generating visual visions of what they think the future could look like. So there's people trying to do this imagination work. Great. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, there's so much, there's so much there, like there's grounds for some wonderful stuff and I would love to watch it. Like I've, I'm not watching much television, but if there was a series about people living in 2060 in these difficult conditions, but like with these solutions that they're like, they're getting through their lives and it's, there's beauty and there's, there's everything. I would sit down and watch that. I want to see people figuring things out. Yes. <laughs> so we can imagine what it could look like. There's yeah. a documentary. I don't know a series, but 2040 is a nice documentary that tries oh, to do a bit yes. of what you're saying. I haven't seen it, but I love that guy. He's Australian. He's a, he yes. used to be an Australian yeah. actor. And the last question is, what is one habit you think all eco-enthusiasts should pick up? So I don't know if this is a bit of a cheat answer, but I think maybe I can get away with it as a psychologist, but I think it's about taking some kind of action that's right for you. And that needs to be an individual thing. And so this is such a big problem and it needs a collective response. So we all have to do something, but we don't all have to do everything. And so I think it's, that means there's a space to think about what it is that you as an individual love what are the things that get you out of bed in the morning what are the things that really engage you and what are the things that are your strengths the resource bases maybe the contacts and networks and things that you have so who are you as an individual and then blend that together with what are the things that are going to make a big impact and maybe doing some research on that so there's a Ayana Elizabeth Johnson is a, a climate scientist has a really great TED talk on the, what she calls the climate Venn diagram, which is exactly this it's bringing together those three areas to find your individual best climate action. Because if we engage with what we feel we should do, but really it doesn't energize us, it doesn't make us feel excited, then we're not going to sustain it. If we get involved with things that, are, that really are impactful, but are also right for us as an individual and what our strengths and loves are, then we're much more likely to keep it up and and make a go of it. And I think it also encourages us to think a little bit more broadly than just very small behaviour changes we can make at home, which ultimately, although important, aren't going to be what shifts this thing. We need to find a a different way to engage with it that that might have a slightly wider impact in some way. So I, yeah, I would say go away and watch that TED Talk maybe as my Yeah, I'm going to look at it because it sounds great because I think I I completely agree with you because I went the whole long way around on this journey. And once again, funnily enough, it was because I was listening to Elaine de Botton. In this, I disagree with him. <laughs> he led me down the wrong way. <laughs> he was talking about um, 
literature and art or whatever. And he was like, we don't need any more writers. <laughs> He's like, we don't need any more writers. We need people in business. We need people in business bringing like the artistic angle, right? Like we need that with the compassionate angle and all that. And I went, he's right. He's so right. Like he's 100% correct. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get into business. And I, and I, what, I lasted a year. It doesn't, it, I, I, I can't do it. Like it's not mm. me. <laughs> and I went, this was a good lesson. But, I, and I, and, but now I disagree with him. I get his point. I, I really do get his point. And it has, it, there's a space for his um, point there. But I think in this particular one, it's such a heavy topic you need to be embracing something that really brings you to life mm. because otherwise you won't do it or you know you just or you won't do it well and you, and you won't it won't be um sustainable you I, I gave up at the first obstacle with the last one because I'm like this is not bringing me to life you mm. know so yeah um, I, I completely agree with you, and I'm going to go ahead and watch this this TED talk. I put it in the show notes so that people can have a look at it. Maybe we'll help them <laughs> speed track to their route because, yeah, I took the long way around. Great, yeah, thank you. It's a little bit of what we use that concept in the course in terms of trying to develop our the, the participants' individual sense of next directions. Yeah, if anybody listening is interested, then that course. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. And you're on social media. Can people find you on social media to follow along? Yeah, and... um, I, I can give you the website, but it's Climate Parenting on Instagram, Climate.Parenting on Instagram, or www.ClimateParenting.com. My website. Fantastic. Okay, well, thank you so much for chatting with me today about this fantastic course. I think it sounds great. And uh, yeah, good luck with it. Thank you so much. Thank you for bringing me on and for bringing emotions and psychology into the conversation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Rachel. Go along to her website and sign up. If you don't know what you know your role is going to be in this climate drama that we are living in, uh, this is a really great opportunity to just give yourself a moment to sit down, you know, with someone who, with a psychologist and other parents and think about what your skills are, um, the best way to have these conversations with people. So yes, if you don't know what is your skill, go along. Maybe it's right under your nose and you just need a little bit of help finding it. This could be great for you. I mean, I've heard of a a Sydney hairdresser who has this very snazzy salon and she uses her she's a great opportunity right at her fingertips with which is that all these people are coming in every day sitting down in a chair and having conversations with her and she drops in the climate conversation she talks about the weather she talks about one what 1.5 degrees of warming means and she's also started training other hairdressers using climate psychologists to help them to speak to, to, to their clients as well. The ways are really endless when it comes to, to what you can do. Like I said, for myself, it has been found, I went on a route with business that just was not me at all. It did not fit and it felt very stressful and a lot of work. Now what I do is I do this podcast, I share important environmental stories and incredible things people are doing. I am writing, I'm writing children's books, I'm writing adult books. That's my way. I go to protests as well. So yeah, that the ways are really, really endless. And even if you know your way, but you just feel a little bit demotivated 
this could be a great opportunity to go along and just connect with other parents and maybe find a new way to connect using the skills that you have. On that note, as always, we'd like to finish this podcast with The Nature Poem. Last week's episode, I explained that I've just released a book, Birth at the End of the Earth, my journey from eco-anxiety to eco-action. It's a memoir and it's about my experience of similar to Rachel's of the climate crisis awakening happening just as I'd, I'd had a baby or just before I'd had a baby and takes you through my story of really kind of paralyzing anxiety to kind of active hope. It, it was quite a journey and I've tried to make it humorous. I've tried to make it truthful, entertaining. It's, it's had some really fantastic feedback and started a lot of conversation. So I'm, I'm really happy with it. I'm going to finish the episode with the beginning, the introduction of that book, Birth at the End of the Earth. I hope you enjoy it and we'll see you next time on The Eco Enthusiast. Da Aluth in English means to give birth. Its literal translation is to give to light. The exact origin of this expression is unknown. It could come from the reference in the Bible, Dio Laluth, which describes Mary as having given light to the world in the form of baby Jesus. However, Da Aluth is how the Spanish say it nowadays, to give to light. So it could simply refer to the moment the baby leaves the darkness of the womb and is bathed in the light of the world for the first time. In both languages, the verb that remains the same, the lowest common denominator, is to give. It's where we begin. It's our verb. And in our world, the world we have unconsciously created, we have been robbed of our verb. To give has been replaced with to sell, buy, compete, beat, and win. To give is no longer given any glory. We are natural-born givers, regenerators. Making love and life is who we are. We've just forgotten, that's all. This book tells of how I went from environmental despair, anxiety, terror, and rage to become what I like to call an eco-enthusiast. I wrote this story out for myself to ensure I continue re-remembering who I truly am. But it's also an offering to you, mothers and fathers, parents who have found themselves giving their tender hearts to what feels like a world of decay in which we have little sway. As the coral reefs are being bleached, so are our mystical mother and fatherhood experiences. They are being drained of their full colour spectrum. We have been frozen by fear and uncertainty, thanks to a few oily money men who lied until it was almost too late. But we are reaching a tipping point, and as quickly as ecosystems can collapse, we can change. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. I believe in the science and miracles. Yes, I'm one of those people now. Earned blessings that come after we have gratefully sacrificed what we know we no longer need in order to serve a greater good, our children.
all of them. So this book is for my brothers and sisters who are now striving to save a world they had little hand in destroying. I hope it makes you feel understood. I hope it makes you laugh sometimes and feel our ecological crisis deeply. I hope it gives you some tools and stories to hold on to as we push to birth this wild and wonderful new world. This nausea, these unbearable rips in the belly, and this shortness of breath are natural. More pain will follow. But parents know what comes after all the blood, sweat, and tears, after all that fear, after one impossible push after another. Heaven on earth. My ambition is for these words to encourage you to act radically and fast with enthusiasm, to lance the beast with our war weapon of choice, our birthright, our essence, our verb, to give. heaven on earth.